0: So we are looking forward to the team from Life Action Ministries coming um, at the end of the, the month, and uh, their time with us will begin on February the 24th, and so just be praying uh, for that. I think we'll see in our text today even why it's important for us to kind of set aside times to to sort of focus on the Lord that are even beyond our normal times of uh, of worship together. So be praying for our uh, Summit Revival uh, time together, uh, beginning on February the the 24th. Well, um, we are, if you're new today, we have been in the Gospel of Luke for the past few weeks, and we're going to continue in Luke through Easter Sunday. So what we're doing, Sunday by Sunday, is we're looking at a different encounter that Jesus has with people in the Gospel of Luke. So today we're in chapter 7 and we're talking about encountering his power, encountering the power of Jesus. Luke chapter 7, if you'll find that in your copy of God's word, and so we're going to read the first 17 verses of Luke chapter 7 this morning and talk about encountering his power. Luke chapter 7, and let's begin with verse 1. Follow along in your copy of God's word. The Bible says when he had concluded saying all this, the people, to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant." When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed." For I, too, am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you now, we pray that you would help us to stand amazed in your presence. We pray that we would be blown away by your power. Father, we we pray for any of us whose, whose hearts have grown lukewarm or cold. We pray that we would be blown away by who Jesus is. Father, I pray for anyone here today that doesn't yet know Jesus, that hasn't truly been born again. Father, we pray that by your power that you would shatter defenses around their heart, that you would give them a new heart that they would see the Savior and His power and His love and that You would draw them to Yourself by Your Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that right now You would help us to to get rid of any distraction, anything that could be pulling us away from just hearing from You. These are crucial, crucial times together. And so, Lord, help us just to really lock in passionately on what you want to say to us today through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. Ian Murray's biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of my favorite biographies. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was was known for being the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, not far from the houses of, of Parliament. But before he went to London, Martin Lloyd-Jones was pastor of a small church in Wales called Sandfields. and And while he was at Sandfields, that little church went through a a period of revival, like true heaven-sent revival. And it was during that time that one of the lives that was changed was the life of a local witch. And I mean that literally. This woman was not only a part of the occult, but she held occultic meetings on a weekly basis. And one day she saw these people that were passing by her house and they were on their way to church. And they were happy, they were laughing, they were joyous, and she felt that day just strangely drawn to follow them. She followed them to the church and went into the church and sat down and stayed for the service. And the power of God was, was overwhelming, and she was converted that day. And after the service, she, she sat down with a person that, that led her to Christ, and she said this to him. She said, the moment I entered your church and sat down, I was conscious of a supernatural power. I was conscious of the same sort of supernatural power as I was accustomed to in our Spiritist meetings, but there was one big difference. I had a feeling that the power in your church was a clean power. And we see that clean power all over this text. So what do we see here? If you want to follow along and take notes, I want to encourage you to do so in your your bulletin, and we have the the outline there. First of all, we see here authoritative power. Authoritative power. So let's check out verses 1 and 2. It says, When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion servant who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die, so Jesus has been out teaching, and he comes back into Capernaum, which has become sort of a home base of operations for him, and he is immediately met with this crisis. And there's a young man who's sick, and he is on the verge of death. We need to really kind of stop here and and understand that when people got sick in first century Israel, actually not just there, but I mean, even here, a 100 years ago, before the invention of penicillin in 1928 and, and the widespread use of antibiotics, it was a different world. And so when people got sick, when they got the flu, when they got a virus, it was a desperate situation. Often people just died. And so the sickness of this young man is an absolute crisis. He's on the brink of death, and in this case, the sick person is the servant of a local centurion. So, centurions were Roman soldiers. Israel, at this point, was under Roman occupation, and so the presence of Roman soldiers was not unusual. In fact, Caesarea which was sort of the, the head of the political and military apparatus in Israel, was only about 50 miles away from Capernaum. So it would not have been unusual to have the presence of Roman soldiers in Capernaum. And this is a Roman officer. He's a centurion, means he commands a century of men. A hundred men are under his command. And centurions were really sort of the backbone of the Roman army. And often the relationship between these Roman soldiers and the Jewish locals was not good. That's an understatement. Because they were occupying Israel, there was a lot of natural resentment toward them. A lot of times the Roman soldiers could be brutal uh, to the Jewish population, but that was not the case with this soldier. Not the case at all. In fact, what we're going to see is that God was working powerfully in his life. So let's look at verse three. It says, When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. If this soldier was posted in Capernaum, which he clearly seems to have been, he would have been very familiar with the ministry of of, of Jesus. If you, <laughs> I've been to Capernaum, it is it was in the first it was a little town. I mean, it did not have a big footprint. It's just a little town. Jesus really was based there. He had taught there many times. Many healings had taken place there. Demons had been cast out there. There's no way that someone could have been living in Capernaum and not known about Jesus. So this soldier has had prior exposure. He's probably heard Jesus teach probably seen Jesus perform miracles and God is at work in his life and so this, this loved one is about to die and so it's natural that he wants, he wants Jesus to, to perform a, a healing. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So you notice here that the, that the centurion does not go himself. He sends uh, Jewish friends to go and talk to Jesus in his place. And we'll talk about why in a moment. But it's obvious that these Jewish elders love this centurion. They go and they are begging Jesus. to to do this for him. And they say he is worthy for you to grant this. That term worthy, the Greek word for worthy, this is really the only time in the New Testament that that's used for an individual. And so in the strongest terms, these Jewish elders are pleading for Jesus to help this Roman soldier because they love him. And not only that, but they know that this centurion, loves them. Look at what they say in verse 5. Because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Evidently, this soldier who has been posted to Israel has come to develop a respect and an appreciation for the Jewish people, and even beyond that, a love for these people that he's around every day, to the point that he would want to to give personally of his own resources to help them to have a, a new a synagogue building. Um, so, uh, listen, this is all an indication that God was at work in this man, because the Spirit of God um, um, produces... Love. Let's look at a couple of points of, of application here. So when God is working in us, first of all, we begin to love people who are different from us. We begin to love people who are different from us. It's not really supernatural to love people who are just like us. It doesn't require supernatural power. Right when we just love people who are just like us, you know, from like our own background, this, that really doesn't stand out. But when, when when we begin to love people who are different from us, maybe of a different race or ethnicity, or maybe from a different socioeconomic background, or we have a very different personality and different ages and all of that, that's the kind of love that the Spirit of God gives. And see, we see a love here in the story that's crossing all kinds of boundaries, right? It's crossing ethnic and racial boundaries. This man's a Gentile. It, you know, it's crossing socioeconomic boundaries. They had radically different backgrounds, but, but God was at work. When that happens, we, he produces a love for us where we love people. They're not just kind of just like us or people that we perceive as easy to love, but we love people who are different from us. Second, when God is is working, we begin to put love into action. See, this this centurion doesn't just sort of have warm feelings for these Jewish people. No, he acts. He he gives of his own personal resources to, to build their synagogue. There seems to be something that's just kind of wonderfully simple and practical about this man's faith. I mean, he just, we're going to see later on, he perceives Jesus can heal. He just says, speak a word. You say the word, it's done. He perceives that these people have a need for a new synagogue building. And he knows that he's been blessed financially. He has the resources to make a huge difference. And he says, I'm going to do it. I mean, he puts love into action. And when God is at work, that happens. We just, we don't just, we're not content just to have sort of warm feelings. We, we act on that. You know, I mean, in this case, he just knows, hey, I am in a position financially to make a huge difference for these people, and I'm going to do it. It could be that you're blessed with like the resource of a spiritual gift, maybe teaching or another spiritual gift and it's like you say, well, you know what? God has given me the gift to be able to do this and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna leverage it for his glory. That's stewardship. Whether it's time, talents, treasure, whatever it is, we put love into action. Let's check out verses six and seven. It says, Jesus went with them and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, that is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow. This is really remarkable and really beautiful. What, what do we see here in the centurion that God has produced in him? First of all, humility. 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 Right, he 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 says, "Lord, I am not. I don't even consider myself worthy." I mean, unlike many people in his position, uh, would have would have felt tempted to throw their weight around. Right? He's he's a Roman officer, and he's these people are kind of kind of under him. But but instead, God has produced in him this incredible humility. It's like, Lord, I am not even worthy. I, I, I recognize the, the presence of my own sin. And, and as a Gentile, I am not even worthy for you to come under my roof. So he actually sends emissaries in his place. This kind of humility does not come naturally to us as human beings. What comes natural to us is pride. <laughs> if there's any genuine humility, <laughs> that's a mark of the Spirit of God. So we first we see humility here, but but then second, faith, just like beautiful, simple faith. He just says, you don't it's not even necessary for you to come physically, no, you just say the word, and this will be done and And there's a relationship here, really, between these two things, a relationship between... Humility and and faith. A New Testament scholar, Daryl Bach, says this about that relationship. Bach says, one can argue that the essence of faith is humility. The recognition of the uniqueness of God's power and our own unworthiness before it while trusting in God's care. Well, This humility and faith is even more evidence of the spirit working in the life of this man. And you know, when God is working in our lives, he can use all kinds of means to do that. He can use all kinds of circumstances, including the kind of work that we're called to do. And in this case, God has used this soldier's military background to make a powerful spiritual Point. Look at verse 8. He says, For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. You see, this man is used to operating in a, in a military culture where orders are obeyed. (laughs) He understands what it's like to be under authority because he has officers that are over him and ultimately the Caesar that was over him that would issue an order and he would obey it. Like in that culture, commands get obeyed. He knew what it was like to be in authority. He had soldiers under him and so he was used to issuing orders and those orders were carried out. And in Jesus, he perceives the power to command. And so he just says, you just say the word. And this is done. Now, there's an application here for us, and it's this. We should pray boldly. We should pray Boldly, Uh, I love what New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says about this text. He says, contrast the prayer of this centurion with the prayers that we all too often pray ourselves. Lord, we say, not out loud, of course, but this is what we often think. Lord, I might perhaps like you to do this. But I know you may not want to, or it may, might be too difficult, or perhaps impossible, and we go on our way puzzled, not sure whether we've really asked for something or not. Of course, sometimes we ask for something, and the answer is no. God reserves the right to give that answer. But the story shows that we should have no hesitation in asking, is Jesus Lord of the world, or isn't he? And we should pray boldly. Let's look at verse 9. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. We've talked about the fact that Luke is sometimes referred to as the gospel of amazement. There are five words in, in Greek that can be translated as amazed Luke uses all five of them in his gospel. But usually, it's people being amazed at something Jesus has done or said. In this case, it's Jesus that is amazed at the faith of this centurion. Now, remember, this guy has not been raised hearing stories from the Old Testament. (laughs) This soldier is a Gentile. He was raised somewhere in the Roman Empire, um, almost certainly by pagan parents. He's grown up in a home not hearing stories about the one true God, stories from the Old Testament. He was raised in an atmosphere where the normal thing was just to worship just a, a, a whole pantheon of false gods. But yet, he has come to Israel and he's begun to hear these stories from the Old Testament and he's, he's begun to hear the, these, these, these stories about the, the one true God and the Spirit of God has begun to work in his life. And living in Capernaum, he's seen Jesus in operation. And he's been blown away by the the power that he sees in Christ. And so he's blown away by Jesus. And so he perceives Jesus just has the power to command. You say the word, it's done. Jesus says, "I, I haven't seen this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. In other words, I haven't seen this kind of faith among my own people. The Jewish people who were raised hearing about the one true God, who were raised going to synagogue, who were raised hearing about the miracles of the Old Testament. But were they blown away? Eh, not so much. See, they had begun to take it for granted. And so you've got this outsider This Gentile, this centurion, who's blown away. I love that song. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. You've got this outsider who's standing amazed in the presence of Jesus, while the insiders, the very people who should be amazed, have have sort of become inoculated to it. Now, friends, this is a warning for us. This is a warning for those of us who are in the church. This is a warning for those of us who have been, who were maybe raised in Christian homes. And so, you know, we've known the right words to say, and we've known the language, and we've known the rituals all of our lives. Or, even if you weren't raised in a Christian family, If you've been a Christian for a long period of time, it is so easy for our hearts to grow cold. And we become lukewarm. And we begin to just kind of take things for granted. And we sort of of know the words to say and it's almost like we become inoculated to the power of God. That is not where we want to be. But we can all be there. And if that's the case, then we need to hit our knees before God and pray for revival. We need to have special meetings like the one that we're going to have in a few weeks because because we, we need to monitor the condition of our hearts. And if we're growing cold or lukewarm, if we're beginning to take things for granted, if we're not blown away and amazed by Jesus anymore, if we've grown cold to the things of God, that is not where we want to be. And so Jesus turns, and this is, this is kind of a rebuke for his own people. He says, I haven't seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. Verse 10 says, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. But now, we go from seeing Jesus bring someone back from the brink of death to bringing someone back from death. Let's look at resurrection power. Resurrection power. Verses 11 and 12. It says, Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was also with her. So now, Jesus and his disciples are walking into this little town in Galilee of Nain. It's about five miles from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. So he's very very familiar with this little town. Probably knew some of the people In this town. And as he walks up, there is a scene of absolute heartbreak that is taking place. Because there's a funeral procession that is coming out of the gates of the town. Burial places would always be outside of the city, usually a a cave in the side of a hill. And so they're carrying the, the body outside the gates to the tomb. The, the coffin that they were carrying would not have looked like a coffin today. It would have been more like sort of an, a stretcher or an open sort of a slab. The body would have been uh, wrapped in grave clothes but, but the, would not have been closed. And the grief would have been absolutely raw because they would bury people the same day. And so this has just happened. This is fresh grief, raw grief. And the circumstances just compound it because they're taking this son out to be buried in the same cave that his father, had been buried in. So now this woman is a widow. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. She has no one. This is just a heartbreaking kind of a situation. And the compassionate heart of Jesus goes out to her. Verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Not that he is against tears, but he knows something is about to happen that is going to reverse her tears. You know, this kind of foreshadows what's going to happen. We've been talking about the fact that all of these healings, really, they, they foreshadow what Jesus is going to do on, on, a, on a world level when he comes again to establish a new heaven and earth. So what's going to happen when Jesus comes again? John tells us in Revelation 21.4, he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Praise God. No more tears. Verse 14. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. Word of command. What did the centurion say? Just say the word. Just say the word. It's done. Right? What's Jesus do? Just says the word. Issues a command. Issues an order. Done. When Jesus touched that open coffin, it was the reaction would have been sort of like it was when, a few weeks ago when we saw that he touched the leper. There almost would have been an audible gasp. Because touching a dead body like this would make someone ceremonially unclean. But see, as we've seen many times here, you know, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus touches those who were considered unclean, and he makes them clean. Just as Jesus touches a dead body, right? Jesus enters into death for us. Jesus was going to go all the way into death for us on a cross so that we can live. And so Jesus reaches out, does the unthinkable, and touches this dead body. And then he, he speaks this word of command. Young man, I tell you, get up again, which foreshadows what is going to happen to all who know him when Jesus returns? Because what's going to happen? There's going to be a command. And people are going to get up. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at verses 15 and following. It says, The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. So what are some implications that we should take from this? First of all, we can be freed from facing life alone. We can be freed from facing life alone. Let your mind go to to a scene, but instead of this scene that's taking place outside the gates of this little town in Galilee, let your mind go to the thing that you fear the most or that you dread the most, the thing that you're most concerned about. In your life, the thing that keeps you up at night, your biggest challenge, biggest obstacle. Now, imagine Jesus with his power, his resurrection power moving into that situation with you and taking control of it. That's reality for us. can be reality for us if we look to him. Uh, Second, Second kind of implication from this. We can be freed from fear and worry. We can be freed from fear and worry. So listen, this resurrection is a preview of coming attractions. It's one of three resurrections that takes place in the ministry of Jesus. The other two are the raising of Lazarus and the raising of Jairus' daughter. But all of these resurrections that Jesus performs during his earthly ministry, they're a preview of coming attractions. They are a preview of his own resurrection. And they are, and his, his resurrection is a preview of our, of our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, he is the, his resurrection is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this is a preview of, of coming attractions. We know that as believers... That our destiny is to be raised with glorified bodies to live in a new heaven and earth without sin, without suffering, without tears, without disease, without death. That's our future and it's assured. So what should that do for us in the present? If we know that, that's our future, like what should that do for our lives now? We, we can know that whatever trials that we go through in this life are very temporary very temporary second corinthians 4 says that this is like a slight momentary affliction that's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory so we need to understand that the trials of this life are not going to last And that we have forever with Jesus in a new heaven and earth and glorified bodies. So what should that do? That should give us a different perspective on this life. It should give us a different perspective on the pains and the trials of this life. Because we know these things are very temporary. I've used this illustration before, but when when sometimes if I'm watching a game, is there a game today? Somebody said that. Game later? Okay. All right. sometimes Sometimes when I watch games, I will watch the recording of the game because I can just fast forward through commercials. But a lot of times when that happens, I know the winner of the game. Now, if my team lost, I don't even watch the game because I'm a really sore loser about stuff like this. But... If my team won, I will watch, but I will watch in a different way. So instead of being like upset when something goes wrong with my team, I have kind of a quiet, calm in my spirit. Even when they go through a setback, I know this just makes it even better. They're gonna overcome all of this, right? We, we, you know how the story ends. That should be the way that we do life, with a sense of calm. With a sense of quiet confidence, just kind of knowing that, look, (laughs) we know the future. Jesus wins. Our future is with Him. This life is very temporary. These trials do not last, right? So, it should it can free us from fear and worry. Third, we can be free to live boldly for God's glory. If if we know that that our destiny is to be raised to be with Christ forever in glorified bodies. And, and, and if we know that that is our future, then listen, that frees us to live boldly in this life. To be all out for Jesus. To take risks for the gospel. I mean, why play it safe if, if, if this is our destiny? <laughs> I mean, if we we know how this story ends, that's all taken care of. So why play it so close to the vest? Why play it so safe in this life? And I think about just uh, cold January like the one we just went through, and um, many years ago in January of 1956, word began to drift back to the states of the martyrdom of this group of missionaries in the jungle of Ecuador. One of them was Jim Elliot. And in the journal that he kept as they were seeking to engage this this tribe of Indians, just a few days before his his martyrdom, Jim Elliot had written in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for the power of Jesus. We pray that you would help us to live in the reality of that power. This would be real for us. Lord, forgive us for having cold hearts that could take these things that should amaze us for granted. Lord we pray that your spirit would renew our hearts Lord if we've grown cold or lukewarm Lord renew us renew us so that we're blown away by who you are Father help us to be people who pray boldly just knowing the power that you have help us to understand that we don't have to do life alone that we can do life with the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth lord help us to live boldly for your glory it's the name of jesus that we pray We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know we're on this journey together.